Tristan Prasser, welcome to the Baseload Podcast. Thanks, Ben, for having me on. No worries at all. Uh, my scripted screen here says uh, it's Wednesday afternoon and South Australia has been disconnected from the, uh, the greater East Coast grid since Saturday afternoon, again, and the renewal lobby, renewable lobby are still claiming victory, despite the obvious flaws in their arguments. So uh, flaws such as curtailment, inertia, interconnection, backup, all the extras required to make it work, because we all know wind and solar don't work on their own. Now, uh, we're here to talk tonight a little bit about uh, nuclear, a bit about some of the other people talking about some of the things we're talking about. Um, what you don't want to give us a, a quick introduction and background on yourself and where you fit into the picture? Yeah, sure, Ben. Um, so I guess my sort of background is someone who has worked in government, uh, in state government, federal government, uh, as a public servant and as an advisor to a, a senator. Um, I've sort of been. You're a, you're an insider. A little bit of an insider, a little bit of you know understanding of how government works, and I think that's increasingly important these days, given the sort of policy decisions that governments are, are making on a whole range of areas, energy included. Um, I guess I've fallen into the energy space out of my own personal interest um, over time, and become I guess more of a, a sort of a, a side hobby in a sense, particularly uh, picking up the nuclear issue in mm. Australia, um, something that I've, I've really uh, become quite passionate about. So It's um, interesting how the uh, the nuclear question does sort of wake people up because most of the time you say to people in nuclear, it's either no way, never, or hurry up and get it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's right. Yeah, it's, um, and what's quite fascinating about the, the nuclear uh, topic is that it has really sort of, uh, started to s- snowball a bit and in the last few years. Yeah, and, I get that feeling as well. Yeah, and particularly in Australia, which is uh, remarkable because, you know, 10 years ago, it would have been quite a different thing for us to have this conversation. It would have been very controversial. Now I feel like it's quite almost, not quite mainstream, but almost getting there. There's a little bit of momentum. Uh, there's certainly people talking about it a lot more. Uh, and also overseas, there's some, there's some, I guess you'd say, France was an obvious one with their nuclear fleet, but it's getting pretty old. But I believe there's been a bunch of announcements all around the world in the last 12 months. Yeah, I think. And I mean, there's a talk of you know, nuclear renaissance uh, or a new paradigm as um, uh, the head of the Nuclear Energy Institute in the United States has, has coined it. Um, and I think this time around, it's, it's somewhat different to what happened perhaps pre- Fukushima back in 2011, um, uh, you know, in the 2008 2009 period, where there was talk of a nuclear renaissance then. Mm. Um, but I think this time is quite different because I think you've got a few different trends and issues converging all at once. We've got a lot more uh, intermittency in the grids, mm. the Western grids around the world now. Yeah. And a lot so, more people concerned so, about how it's going to play out. That's right. So I think energy security now has become sort of the, the top issue. And, yeah. and more and more people are looking around going, what can we do to ensure our grids don't fall over? But also, and then this comes into the, the climate net zero thing, whether you're on board with that or not, it's becoming a, an increasing area that people are looking for. Well, what's actually uh, a technology that can deliver zero emissions 24-7, 365 days a year? Mm. Um, and increasingly people are looking to nuclear. It's an interesting Venn diagram when you, when you get it. You get the people who are, um, I wouldn't call myself anti-renewables. I would call myself um, anti-stacked field. I just don't see how uh, subsidizing one thing into existence, no matter what, 
the cost is going to is going to end well. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of nuclear, but I don't see it getting up without some help, especially in the current environment where everything's everything's subsidised pretty much. Mm. But I do like the um, particularly in the Western space because I think the West has forfeited its leadership in nuclear technology yeah. for some decades the nu- now. The nuclear race seems to be uh, yes. China and India and, and those other countries and, who and, see and the Russia. need for baseload power. <laughs> and Russia, yeah, let's not forget Russia. Good old, good old Mr. Putin. Um, he's certainly set Germany back on its heels. And, and Europe, I, bl- I saw something on, on Twitter which was a meteorological forecast for mm. the Northern Hemisphere mm. looking very cold. Yeah, the forecast is not looking good. And my brother lives in America, in DC, and their maximum daytime temperatures are around about the ten degrees Celsius now. Yeah, which is a little bit early for that. Well, so, well, I, I can tell you, I've lived in Germany back in 2012, and at that time, I lived during what was their uh, coldest, darkest winter for 30 years. Uh, and there was several weeks there it was minus 10 to minus 20 temperatures in Berlin. So. Don't um, tell me they have cycles. Of oh my God. <laughs> so, so you know, it it does get very cold, and if you don't have heating, uh, it's going to be very miserable living in some of those apartments and, it's, and it's, houses. It's an incredible thing. I've never lived in those cold climates, but I do, I do sit down and think as I'm sitting on my sunny balcony on a on a summer afternoon here in Australia, where everything's green and and nothing's covered in snow. Uh, not much food grows in the snow. Uh, not yeah, not many cattle grow in the snow you know it's, it's pretty hard to um survive without a lot of energy yes input. That's, that's that's right and yeah. the energy density provided by obviously coal and gas is one thing yeah uh the energy density provided by nuclear uh, in the form of not just electricity but heat is also yep uh you know unparalleled pretty yeah. much and i think this is the other thing with this nuclear renaissance this time around is that it's the value proposition of nuclear that people are realizing that it can provide other things beyond electricity generation, like industrial heat, um, district heating, um, you know, providing things for f- fuel feedstocks and so on and so forth. So it can it can do multiple things um, that the renewables can't. Now I'm like you, I'm not a, uh, I don't dislike renewables. They have a place, but they have con- their constraints, and that's why I'm skeptical when I hear the sort of, uh, you know, grandstanding. Uh, statements that we you know have heard for years now mm. and continue to hear because people are uh, these people who have been pushing this narrative for so long are now doubling down on it um they're, like not, our, they're not ashamed are they they keep going like our own uh, uh federal energy minister chris bowen certainly bowen. has been one to be doing that in recent weeks uh you know i had to watch his performance in question time in parliament last week to hear some of the lines he was coming out with on the renewable front. And yes, the modelling commissioned by the Labor Party and the opposition is very important because it underlines the fact that renewable energy is the cheapest form of energy, Mr Speaker. It underlines the fact that renewable energy will create jobs across our country, Mr Speaker. Now, we understand that. Any sensible economist understands that. Those opposite are still struggling with that, Mr Speaker. They're still struggling with that. They think that the cheapest form of energy is nuclear, Mr Speaker. They think the cheapest form of energy is nuclear. The Leader of the Opposition was asked the other week about nuclear energy being more expensive, and he said, no, 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 Chris Bowen, that's that's an assertion by Chris Bowen. It's not supported by the facts from Europe and North America. Now, the Leader of the Opposition is on to me, Mr Speaker. He's on to me. I, I, I did call the CSIRO. 
and Australian energy market operator Gencos report and ask them to write that nuclear energy is the most expensive form of energy. Then I got on Stanford University and asked them. Then I got on to Harvard University and asked them. Then I got on to the International Energy Agency and asked them. Then I got on to the International Nuclear Report and asked them. These are all groups who say that nuclear energy the is the most expensive left. form of energy, the but it has passed by the Leader of the Opposition, Mr Speaker. To talk about modelling. I look forward to the Opposition releasing the, modelling the impact of nuclear energy on power prices. I look forward to the Opposition releasing information as to where the nuclear power plants will go. I mean, will it be in Yapoon or in Yepin? Where will it be, Mr Speaker? That's what we want to know. The LNP, the the LNP Mr Speaker, stands Order. for Local Nuclear Power Plant, Mr Speaker. Chris Bowen there. Australia's Federal Energy Minister uh, attempting to rebut Peter Dutton, the opposition leader's speech in Parliament about uh, nuclear power should be part of the mix. Now, uh, Chris Bowen said there then that he, he welcomed the debate, but there's not much of a debate happening while it's an, actually an illegal practice to build a nuclear power station. Yeah, that's, that's right, Ben. Under um, the Environmental Bi Biodiversity Act, um, you know, it's, as a, I think it's a number section 140, that you know, prohibits the construction and operation of a nuclear energy facility, and among other things. Um, and overseas commentators are still amazed that uh, are we the only OECD country or that has a nuclear ban, uh, and we're the only country that sells uranium but doesn't use it. Yep, I, think, I certainly think we're like the, in the G20, where we're definitely that country. Mm. Um, it is quite a paradox, and, and Australia is full of energy paradoxes these days, it seems. <laughs> and it seems coal could be our, our new uranium on the uh, trajectory we're going at the moment. But, um, I mean, it is just quite farcical that, you know, we have the, the world's largest known reserves of uranium. Uh, we're the third largest exporter of uranium. Um, we export uranium to other countries to generate clean electricity. Mm -hmm. Um, and we generate, uh, we export as much uh, uranium as we almost generate in electricity ourselves. So had had we had a couple of nuclear power plants, you know, you can imagine what we could be doing with that. If we use some of our own juice, we'd be uh, we'd be a lot better off. Um, there was a report came out of the U.S. Uh, Energy, uh, their one of their government departments, U.S. Department of Energy, only a few weeks ago, which talked about uh, taking old. Uh, retired coal-fired power stations and using that site and any remaining infrastructure, for example, the water systems, the rail, the, uh, the electricity infrastructure, the transmission, the substations, mm. to repurpose them as nuclear power stations. And they found that over 80% could be done without any significant work. You just clear out the old one, put in the new one, and off you go. Yeah, and this is, this is that sort of that plug and play uh, sort of... Uh... It seems like an Model obvious choice for Australia, about. right? It does seem obvious choice because, you know, we do have a few different regions around the country that where coal generation has been prevalent. And some of our coal-fired power stations are getting old. Yep. Uh, some of them are quite new, to be honest, but some of them are pretty old. For example, the New South Wales uh, coal-fired generators are, are going to be turned off in the not-too-distant future. Liddell is going to come off next year. That's yep. going to be a hell of a shock. Uh, a 1,000 megawatts gone, and they're obviously AGL uh, talking about shutting down a few more, including in Victoria. Um, I, I think that's, and that's something for your, your listeners to um, be aware of, that I think the, the major uh, issue that we're facing in Australia is not so much this you know, transition, but this, the fact that we've got ageing fleet of coal generators. That's our biggest problem, that are going to be dropping out of the system. They're, now it's, that's accelerating because of 
some of the policies we've been pursuing at the both state and federal level for the last yep. uh, 10 years or more. Well, um, like Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk announced only a few weeks ago that she's going to spend, what, $62 billion to close down the coal-fired power stations. That's, that's it in a nutshell. How do you close them down? Well, you spend, you spend all the money. Yeah. You don't yep. leave any left over. You no, do it all. <laughs> no, and these are these are government owned assets too. So yeah, and they're all they're all operating very cheaply. I mean the Queensland coal fired power stations, um, there's actually a QA session uh or a town hall type arrangement with mm. Mick DeBrenny tomorrow night down in Cooperoo. Yeah. I'm going down there with a friend of mine and I've I've been trying to busily trying to work out what my question I'm gonna ask him because I'm sure I'll only get one. <laughs> so we'll <Good> see. Luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My uh, my question's either gonna be uh Please, Mr. DeBrenny, explain which of the of the Queensland coal-fired power stations is uh, buying export coal because they keep, everyone keeps saying that coal's the, uh, the the big expensive problem at the moment, yeah. right? But in Queensland, none of the coal-fired power stations are actually connected to a to a port by yes. rail. They're not; they've got their own mines. That's right. We keep so, hearing this narrative being perpetuated. We again, do, yeah, yeah, we do, yeah. It's, and all, it, it's all Vladimir Putin's fault. <laughs> the <laughs> minerals, the Minerals Council of Australia, put out something uh, last week, which was actually the first rebuttal I've seen. From from the industry, which says, mm. like, "Come on, people, let's go." The gas industry is uh, the gas lobby's trying, but I don't know if you saw the CEO. Um, I can't remember her name, Samantha something, Samantha McCulloch. Mm-hmm. She had a bit of a train wreck interview I on uh, on the seven thirty report with David Spears. Yeah, he hammered her. Uh, he did ask her some unfair questions, but she uh, she, for example, one of the questions which uh, he was asking her was, you know, why. What is the contract price of gas? Who's what are they selling it for? And she ummed and ahed and said, "Oh, the ACCC will have that information when it comes out." Uh, I would have turned around and said, "Well, sorry, mate, I don't sell gas. I'm the I'm the CEO of the lobby group. I don't sell gas, so <laughs> they don't tell me how much it costs or how much they're selling it for." Anyway, that's beside the point. On yeah. on nuclear, so yeah, so we, so going back to what you were saying about that that US study, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah certainly that's you know something, there's obvious parallels that yeah, Australia should be looking yeah, at, but yeah. we're not because yeah. and and Robert Parker, uh, for, uh, uh, chair of like, the Australian yeah, Nuclear Association, uh, no, uh, Nuclear for Climate, um, okay. but he, he's an engineer. Uh, he's been in front of the Senate uh, committee uh, recently talking about exactly this. Actually, a question from Sarah Hansen Young of all people. Ah, and and Robert, control. Rob, <laughs> yeah, Rob, Robert Robert uh, gave a really good response talking about the different nodes on the grid and where a nuclear uh, mm-hmm. power plant could be sited. Um, so there's lots Just of roughly where all the coal fired power stations basically, are. Basically, right? yeah, yeah, basically, exactly. Centralized, synchronous. Yep. The infrastructure. The inf- infrastructure's there. there. The workforce is there because the other thing is, it's like. There's not that much difference between a nuclear power plant and a coal-fired power plant. Both other thermal than, generators. That's right. They have steam mm-hmm. uh, powering turbines. There's a lot of crossover. So there's a lot of uh, you know transferable. Yep. yep absolutely. Jobs there. So there really is. And you need if you're going to build something big, you need uh, you need good-sized roads to get there. That's right. Uh, which I think a lot of the wind farms are tr- figuring out at the moment when they're trying to get their hundred and what are they hundred meter blades up the side of the hill. They're going to have a big wide track to do it. Yeah. And the, some of the locals don't appreciate it. So on that, um, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, uh, there's, and I mentioned earlier about the Venn diagram, the crossover between the the people who are sort of oppose the rollout of renewables, the people who uh, support, uh, and the people who want nuclear, and then there's the the climate change group. Mm. Now, some of the climate change group, there's a Venn diagram for them. Some of them are like reduce emissions uh, with anything at all. As long as it works, yeah. And I would put uh, nuclear people in that group mm-hmm. if they if they also 
crossover into the climate change group, but yeah. then there's a climate change group who have no interest in nuclear at all. Yeah. And that's really strange to me. I don't get it. Yeah. Well, I think, and this is, some of it's a little bit of the left and right thing, but not entirely. Political left, political right. Yeah, that's, that's right. But um, I think the nuclear group itself, and that's what I'm finding interesting in Australia, um, and I think this is reflected in, in other parts of the world too, is that the people, if you had the Venn diagram of like, you know, the sort of classic energy trilemma thing, um, nuclear would be in the middle. And in that group would be, you know... The very, trilemma being cost, reliability yeah. and emissions. Yes, right. Correct. Okay. And, and in that sort of nuclear crosses all those sort of things. And in that group, you'd have all these different people. So and that's, that's what I find fascinating is that it is this cross-section of different people uh, and they might have different motivations as to why they're wanting to see nuclear come in and mm. lift in, in the Australian context lift that prohibition on nuclear energy. Um, there's also a, there's also a certain group of people in sort of the coal mining and coal generation lobby who would be happy with nuclear as well. Yeah. Because they can see jobs, um, high skilled, high paying, long term. Uh, and as Chris Kiefer says, uh, generational jobs. Correct. In generational the Canadian jobs. system. So that, 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 that's a big deal. Yeah. And that's why you've got Daniel Walton coming out from the Australian Workers Union who's been actually quite a vocal advocate um, uh, for, for nuclear energy. But the CFMMMU and the ETU, they, they don't want it because they're locked into labour and the renewables policies. Yeah, well, actually, the CFMMU is interesting because there is a, a, a subsection of it that has come out in support of nuclear. Factions within factions, yeah, that's, I like it. That's, I like that's it. right. So if you looked at the, um, I think it was the Victorian inquiry in, that they had a couple of years ago, into uh, their ban on nuclear energy because we've also got state bans as well. Yeah, and there's been inquiry <laughs> after inquiry. Yeah, that's right. But they, the sort of the Victorian CFMEU branch, um, the construction, you know, part came out in support of it. So that was that was interesting. And this is the other thing too is that you're finding in the sort of broader labor movements, even the labor labor party sort of against nuclear, the broader labor movement. It, it, there is a lot of support for it. Mm. Um, it's one hell of an ideology that can, say, reduce emissions at all costs, just not with nuclear. Yes. <laughs> that, I mean, that's right. When, that's a hell of a thing. And, and that's, that's what's also fascinating is that they've made that their objective. That's their, you know, their, their goal and everything else doesn't matter. So things like energy security, reliability, uh, cost. <laughs> Minor well, details. Minor details, exactly. <laughs> and and CO two not not something CO2. to be not something come, to be yearned after or chased that's right. after. And then you come yeah. along and go, Hey, we've got this you know, this technology and it, it can do these things, including reducing emissions. Oh no, we can't have it. Can't have it. Because I don't like it. Well, yeah. because it would as soon as you start uh including nuclear in the and this is what Europe's going through as well, aren't they trying to include nuclear in the green? umbrella so that it gets yes. all the subsidies and qualifies yes. for all that so when you say a target um and australia did something also when you look at the renewable energy target all the existing hydro was out it, what, it's not it's not part of it mm, mm. Um, and, and this is that's right and this is what you find all the time in this sort of conversation is the sort of the the dropping of the excluding and and including of certain technologies at certain times to fit the narrative yes now, now i think when chris bowen gets up in parliament and he talks about renewable energy we all know he's talking mainly Predominantly, wind and solar. Exactly. Yep. Um, but then when they put out their figures on certain things, they always you, put in hydro. Hydro, seventy-year-old hydro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that you might to do with see it? a little bit of you know biomass uh, or yep. you know, so on and so forth. So don't forget batteries because uh, apparently they're renewable, although they're not 
Yeah, but they're not an energy source of energy. They just store energy. And this is the other thing people don't understand. It's like the difference between these different technologies. Yeah, the battery's same, not same a generator. Same with hydrogen, Transmission right? line's not a generator. A synchronous condenser's not a generator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. A transmission, <laughs> transmission line is not a generator. It just moves electricity from one place to another. Moves It moves price as well. <laughs> that's we'll, right. We'll talk about that separately. Yeah, so that's a uh, that's good background. On my list of questions here, mm-hmm. for anyone who's listening, I have a Tristan and I are in my uh, in my downstairs study, and I've got a list of questions up on the computer screen. Um, so yeah, oh, this is this is a good one. What first alerted you to the problems facing the electricity sector in Australia? Uh, I think what, what triggered so, you to uh, yeah. get involved. So I think for me, it's like it was a gradual process in the sense that you know around. Just when I was finishing university, spent some time over overseas on an exchange. And this is the German trip? This is the German trip. Um, and, you know, this is a time when, you know, Kevin Rudd was out there saying the greatest moral challenge of our time is, is, is global Kevin warming. Kevin 07. Um, you know, just so, a sidebar, so, a mate of mine's, uh, one of my best mates, his, his cousin actually came up with Kevin 07. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, he was a graphic designer at the time. Good slogan. It yeah, worked. Good on it worked very well, didn't it? <laughs> but you know, it was at that time, like, so you know, all you heard about, and this is when the sort of the the renewable narrative started to get really beaded and entrenched, where you just heard the answer is we have to go wind and solar. Okay. And I kept hearing this, and it was sort of. So the then, renewables lobby has Kevin Kevin Rudd to blame for you uh, taking them on. So so and then then the sort of other event. That, sort of occurred globally was the, the Fukushima stuff, the nuclear power thing. And up until that point, I hadn't really thought about nuclear power at all. And this documentary came out called Pandora's Promise, and I just came across it and started watching it. And that's when I discovered people like Michael Schellenberger. Yeah, so right. I, and I started, you know, reading, and I started getting some books on energy. And, and I was like, right, if this climate thing is as serious as we're told, uh, then uh, what... Uh, the option then you know i started doing lots and lots of reading on all climate mm-hmm. change phenomenon and um also energy and and the nuclear thing and i discovered people like ben hurd in australia um yeah i came across uh ben hurd i was i was working on out in chinchilla in about would have been about 2015 2016 and he there was a an industry, an industry group in the electrical industry called WESA, or it might have been Engineers Australia, and he did a presentation on uh, Fukushima and nuclear power in general. Yeah, and it was really interesting. Yeah, and I, I thought he made a lot of sense. I'm yeah. like, oh, Fukushima, that that was nasty, but no yeah. one actually died from it. And I'm yeah, like, what's all this stuff we've been hearing about it? Yeah, so like it was, it was, it was particularly the nuclear thing actually that really started you know get my mind thing because I I had always thought nuclear was was bad um you know i sort of grown up um watching that you know, china syndrome film and 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 um all of that so you know and the simpsons of course you know <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 yeah. so you always had this like back in your mind that like uh, nuclear is terrible um but and it's owned by evil barriers that's, that's right but as soon as i started to dig and didn't have to dig very far like just scratch the surface that sort of all fell away and then I, you know, really sort of delved into the energy thing, and I picked up a book from a guy called Robert Bryce, yes, uh, Power yep. Hungry, and yep. that's how I discovered Robert. And then, and then he sort of was referencing a guy called Vaclav Smil, mm-hmm. and so I was reading some of his 
books. They were hard. They were hard books to read, <laughs> particularly you know for an arts degree student like well, myself. Just because just, just you know what you're talking about doesn't mean it, you can make it make sense. <laughs> That's right. So, um, but those two writers were particularly influential. But excellent. Uh, yeah. Um, see, I, I think uh, like I love I love hearing people's origin stories in this in this yeah. sector because mine's mine's sort of similar. I'm an electrical engineer and I was working in power and then gas, and then uh, I I. I was aware of Nemco and then it got changed to AMO somewhere there. And I'd done a bit on generator performance standards and national electricity rules compliance. And so I was, yeah. I knew all about that sort of yeah. side of things, but, and I'd done a little bit of work on, on wind farms and stuff. And I was like, eh. I didn't really have any thoughts on what was good or bad about it. I was mm. just an engineer. This is technology. Yeah. That's my job. I'm that's, just doing that's, it. That's right. Yeah. Uh, but then I saw, I think it was this at the, at the time, she was the CEO of the Climate Council, yeah. Uh, which I found out later was a lobby group. I was I was I was so naive that I thought anything with the word council in it was a government. Department. Yeah, that's right. They have to be <laughs> official, right? So I uh, I watched, I saw something, uh, and I heard she, she'd been asked a question from the audience, uh, if solar worked at night, and what were they going to do to replace uh, when you didn't have solar at night time. And I thought to myself, first of all, I thought that's a dumb question because the answer is obvious because solar doesn't work at night. And my second thought was, why is she trying to put spin on it? Why doesn't she just say solar doesn't work at night? We need something else. And so out of that, I looked at what was the climate council and I'm like, these people are arts degrees and politicians. There's nothing anywhere about them about electricity. And so then I came to the... After, like like you told you said you scratch the surface and you go a bit further and you go a bit further do a lot of reading and yeah. you go down a few rabbit holes and you go oh there's a conspiracy theory over well, there well, and I'll touch well, on that I and think, then I'll come back yeah. a bit and I'll go over here. The, I think the thing is though, Ben, is that you didn't have to scratch too far and it was those like those obvious to find that a lot of it's all bullshit. Yeah. Those obvious questions that you like that seemed am I stupid? Am I missing something here? Or you know, what, what, you know what are we gonna do about solar yeah. at night? Yeah, yeah. Is that an obvious question? Like, <laughs> and when oh. you when you dig into it, when you dig into the numbers, and you can download there's the spreadsheets that AMO put up there, which is absolutely every data point on the uh, on the network costs and uh, megawatts and megawatt hours and every bloody thing you can imagine mm. uh, per generator and every five minutes. So there's these massive data files out there that people get on and do these visualizations, and they mm. use that data. When you dig into it, and you and you're trying to work it out. It's uh, it can get quite complex, but it's immediately obvious that uh, solar doesn't work at night, like we all know. But that solar doesn't even work during the morning and evening peaks. Yes, it's, yes, that's it's, right. It's at a minimum and almost dead by then. So solar can only at most contribute to forty percent of demand. Yeah. Well, I mean, something that, else has to do the other sixty percent. That's, that's right. So this is one, once you get, um, and that's you know what I thought Robert Bryce really conveyed in his the capacity factor and energy densities, which mm. I had never really thought about before. And, and, and it all comes back to that because it's got to be about efficiency and, yeah. and how much you spend, you bang for buck. Yeah. And yeah. the best bang for buck for electricity is bloody nuclear power because yeah. you build it and they're, start, they're talking about some in, I think, in Canada, like refitting them after 60 years yeah. for another 20 years. Yeah. And you're like, that's pretty incredible when you think about it. Yeah. A machine that's been around for that long. Right. I mean, I think they're even talking about, in some instances, 80, 80 years and there's no reason why not. It's just a matter of uh, assessing it and making sure it's safe. And if it's safe and reliable, 
Yep. Why not keep using it? That's why, right. Why knock it down and build it again? Which that, is that's right. Which, but you can't do that with wind and solar because they just degrade so much. I yep. think wind wind turbines. It's the. Uh, I mean, you could refit the gears and and all that fun stuff around the top, but the blades themselves, mm. uh, they get they get damaged by dust and and everything else. I mean, they're only carbon fiber or fiberglass yep. or something, so they're they're not very robust. So of course refitting all those things is is very difficult and very expensive and i don't think anyone's ever refitted a a wind farm with a new one yeah i mean, this I mean is, what I, happens i think this is the other side of the story that we don't hear about when we hear these you know these grand claims about uh renewables um i should stop calling them renewables i should keep i want to <laughs> intermittent renewables you know yep. intermittents and and because they're not really renewable either, so mm. it's it is really a marketing term that we've all fallen for, and, and they, keep and we keep well. using. Yeah, that's right. They've done well. I keep using, but if that's I could the get problem. the renewables lobby to uh, to uh, market my podcast, I'd be a billionaire. <laughs> <laughs> they might, <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's that's the thing. We haven't heard the entire story, and this is what mm. slowly is coming out as we see these sort of experiments. Well, the other it, thing that happens is. As more people notice, yeah, uh, more people start talking about it, yeah. And uh, like like me, um, I'm not going to bore the viewers with why I decided to do a podcast, but you know, I do like to rant sometimes. But there are a lot of other people out there talking about it. So some of them are pro nuclear, some of them are pro sort of the climate change. We must reduce emissions, mm. but we must do it sensibly. So you mentioned Schellenberger, mm-hmm. uh, Bryce. I mentioned Kiefer. Yeah, um, you got yep. Lomborgs, you got yep. um, Smill. I'm not sure where he stands on climate change, but he certainly sounds pretty solid on electricity and energy in general. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's there's a scene. I That's reckon. right. Maybe a scene I'm trying to break into. I don't know. <laughs> but it's uh, you've definitely got a like you had CPAC, you had Schellenberger at CPAC. Yeah, and that I think that was a break. Well, that I, was th- a big deal. I think that's the other thing too is that the, a lot of these people, and that's why I find actually Schellenberger and the Ben Hurds. Very fat and Zion Light is another one um, from the UK, a former Extinction Rebellion. She's a little bit too. Um, I don't mind what she says about the the energy side. I don't think mm. her story is really interesting. Yeah, like uh, it's almost like a, a Dave Rubin how I left the left story. Yeah, is she's come full circle, but she's she's a little bit too invested in the climate change side of it for me. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, but I think that's what I find interesting about these people is that they have this. The road to Damascus mm. story, um, but they also we should, we should all get together. Yeah, but they're also willing to talk to people from a, a wide range of um, you know on the political spectrum. They're not well, that, that that's a sign and, of, and, of an open mind and a willingness right. to be challenged, which is not what you get from the Simon Holmes Court. And, and what's group. what's fascinating is that they have largely been rejected by people on the political left. Um, we won't talk to them, not entirely, but uh, certainly there's a core element there who just will not talk to these people. I mean, you mentioned Simon Holmes at court and talking about Zion Lights. So Zion Lights was on ABC Brisbane Radio when she was out here a few weeks ago. And what was really fascinating about that was Simon Holmes at court had to come out and have an interview with Steve Austin the week after to refute uh, some of things that zion was saying and that's very rare for him to do that yeah he, he must have, he must have been threatened a bit eh? so he must have really felt <laughs> the need to do that like that that's quite fascinating because often he's just he's, he's always behind twitter mm, 
So yeah. I thought that was really interesting. I did. I did grab a copy of that interview, uh, and I put some excerpts in it in uh, in my last in my last podcast episode. It was it was interesting how he um, he wanted to basically wanted to say she was full of shit. Yeah, uh, and he didn't quite say it that way, but that was the impression he was giving everybody. Yeah. Um, but he also also said something interesting. Uh, we just need to stop this uh, this energy war, this this culture war that's going on. Mm. And I felt like if if he could just get him and just go slap slap slap, you're part of the problem, mate. You do <laughs> the same thing. That'd yeah, be good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's he's a very clever character, um, very slippery. Um, but you know, and he knows how to play the game. He's, uh, he's obviously well. he's obviously a bright bloke. I mean, oh, he's, you, yeah, you, that's right. He's, he's you don't stupid. you don't get the teals in your, in like a you don't get half very the clever. wealthy electorate in your back pocket without clever. being clever. You don't you don't start that uh, or anyone involved in that open NEM project is yeah. uh, that's a good tick in my book. That's yeah. a that's a great tool. Um, now to, to Steve Austin's credit, uh, he got uh, Stephen Wilson on the following week to sort of yeah. round out the whole nuclear conversation on his program, and that was a very excellent uh, interview. This has become, you know, it's obviously a major political issue, yeah. and it's been ridiculed in Canberra by the current government. Yeah, I know. Are they premature in their ridicule? I'm worried that they might not be getting the best advice I mean, so the, the, the quote this morning, from, actually from the Prime Minister, was cheaper power bills will come as a result of investment in cheaper energy. And so the thought is levelised cost of $50 a megawatt hour, $0.05 cents a kilowatt hour for wind and solar, say. Just keep building that stuff and you'll get cheap bills. And unfortunately, That's what I assume in my mind. Yeah, it, it's wrong. It, when, you t- when you look at the costs of the whole system, it's actually the opposite. You push that so-called cheap stuff in and you're just going to make the system more and more and more expensive. And unfortunately, no one seems to be communicating this message clearly um, and, the, and what looks like the obvious correct answer is actually wrong. Aren't the national electricity market people, the regulators, telling the government that? Well, unfortunately, I think there's a lot of people in, in you know, important, highly paid jobs that are not giving the right advice, okay. I'm sad to say. Well, we need to have more of that. We need, I believe, the this needs more of that open debate, and we need more more people willing to stick their head above the parapet, yeah, and defend uh, just the basics, getting the basics right in the electricity and the energy system. Yeah, yeah. So we talked about commentators. So I think um, Lomborg's Lomborg's quite good. His and he's got a lot of sciencey sort of research behind him as well, mm. which is really cool. Uh, Alex Epstein. Yeah, he I makes mean, a lot of sense. Like yeah. he's he's a really good communicator. Yeah, I think the two, two things about Alex and and Lomberg is that they're they're taking this sort of the human human uh, humanistic uh, line yes. and and talking about well, you know, there's a reason why we've got level of prosperity around the world. There's a reason why other people have not, and the ability to you know generate electricity uh, very easily, cheaply. Um, has been a function of that, and and really, um, you know, we have, owe a lot to to fossil fuels mm. where we are right now, and we're going to go down this path. Um, finally, just chuck it in the bin. Just chuck it in the bin without thinking it through or thinking through what we're actually doing or what that actually means. It is pretty incredible when you think where we've come from. Um, People try and make the comparison between, you've probably heard this before, like uh, renewables are the car as to the car as, um, 
a horse and cart is to a coal-fired power station. And I'm like, well, actually, it's kind of the opposite. Yeah, <laughs> because, I mean, that's, that's the Because your thing. horse is, like, limited in all sorts of arrangements, yeah. and, it, and it's, it's got a... You, get, you need lots of them to move a big load. Uh, they've got to stop and eat and drink, mm. uh, and they do leave a lot of waste behind over yeah. time, whereas your, uh, your, your petrol car or your electric vehicle or whatever, the next evolution of that meant everything was quicker, lots more power, way more efficient. You do a lot more with it, yeah. and it was a lot more reliable, and it changed the world. Like Renewables are not changing the world for the better that yeah. I can see. And, and this but, is the Robert Bryce energy density argument. Right? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and the Vaclav Smil, who Vaclav Smil is, is documented the sort of the energy transition of humanity over like the last, you know, and, millennia. And it, makes, it makes absolute sense because we've, we've gone from the lowest density fuels, which is dung and wood mm-hmm. and That's even right. wind and solar. That's right. And then we went to the, uh, the hydrocarbons mm-hmm. and, and a bit of, you know, water, hydropower, excuse me. And then we've come and gas. Now and now we've got, then we've got to nuclear. And then nuclear, yeah. Which is even more dense, yep. more complex. Yeah. But from an environmental perspective, uh, the only thing going up in the air is steam yep. and the cooling towers. The, uh, you only need one hole in the ground in Australia to power the whole country mm. of electricity. And yep. you can power a couple other countries from the same hole. Yeah. You don't need a hole over there beside that coal-fired power station. You That's don't right. need... 3,000 wells, gas wells to feed all the gas power stations. Right, yeah. The energy density is a real, is a real thing. And that's, that's, that's it, right. it makes absolute sense where we need to go. Uh, and I can't believe that the renewables lobby and the climate lobby are winning the argument that we need to go the other way. It, it's absolutely bonkers. And we're, we're getting to the point to use the Vietnam War analogy of like, you know, you got in order to save the village, you had to destroy the village. Well, we're, it's almost like the same thing now. We're going to napalm the whole. We've got, we've got <laughs> to, in order everybody. to save the climate or the environment, we've got to destroy it. And, you know, by somehow we're thinking that by covering large areas of land uh, with solar panels and wind turbines and ocean now um, is a great idea. Mm the environment let alone uh, you know other reasons well i'm i'm, is, I'm, is I'm it's, it's so frustrating when you see nuts. all these politicians and whoever it is and they come out and say oh we need to we need to uh, have more renewables and my my standard response now is, is just becoming a photo one of those photographs of the hectares of solar mm, panels like you know? in india and... yeah and i'm just like yeah that's what you want is it you want you want a few hundred of them do you yeah it's the big one they've uh, I think that I don't know if it's got approval yet to go ahead, but the the one they've been talking about up in Northern Territory that would power. Oh, my uh, Cannon Brooks's Sun Cable uh, thing. Sun yeah. Cable, yeah, and that's going like that's where kilometers other than, I mean, uh, but it's just desert. I know oh, it boggles. It's hard to it's hard to describe how but stupid it is. But aren't, aren't, aren't deserts an environment? Isn't that an ecology? Like <laughs> not if you not if you live in the uh, North Shore of Sydney. Yeah, well, <laughs> you don't have to put solar right. panels at wind farms. And what, what's also interesting, the last few weeks, you might have seen Marcia Langdon come out, um, you know, Indigenous spokesman come mm. out talking about the renewable thing and the, the issues there are on, on land use and uh, Indigenous native title and all yep. that, yep. which is very fascinating. I was waiting, for, waiting for that to sort of come out because this, this is the problem. You're going to start seeing these land, and Australia's a little bit of a laggard here, but you're going to start seeing these sort of land use issues continue to crop up more and more as this especially with transmission um so that's going to continue to be an issue 
when I b- before we before we started, I was talking to you about a webinar that I watched with the the Greens from Tasmania. It's not the not the Greens. It's Christine Milne, uh, ex leader of the Australian Greens, and uh, Bruce Mountain, a energy researcher in in Victoria, uh, and they talking about the Marinus link, which has mm-hmm. just been funded by Chris Bowen. Yeah. And if you listen to him on the uh, Catherine Murphy's podcast uh, this week, he said that it's basically, it's the project that uh, the States wanted some, all the, all the States wanted someone else to pay for. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and what he, what he actually means and he didn't want to say was that all the cost benefit analysis over the last decade have all said it's a bad idea. So they're going to they basically triple the existing Marinus link. Now, uh, Christine Milne actually opposes this project. Yeah. She says, yeah. let me, uh, let me read out a section here from the, this is a transcript of her speech, uh, from the webinar that they, the webinar organizers emailed out afterwards. And yeah. I've got the slides there as well. So here we go. The Tasmanian community has never been told exactly what battery of the nation actually is or informed as to the enormous and irreversible environmental and financial impact of this next phase of development for our island state or even asked where we want it. Before the end of this year, before an investment decision is made on Project Marinus, the first of three renewable energy zones in Tasmania will be announced. People will wake up and discover they live in one and don't know what fast tracking and removal of regulatory barriers will follow in their own space. In short, the renewable energy target of 200% legislated in the Tasmanian parliament enables Battery of the Nation. It is a project to effectively build the hydro all over again with borrowed money to double the generation capacity of Tasmania's energy system when Tasmanian demand has remained steady for years. Take that in. Paying to double the supply with no increase in demand because you think it will be profitable. End quote. So, I, I like that because I'm saying that's exactly right. You're going to spend all this money, mm. borrowed money, on building infrastructure that's not supplying any more demand. Yeah. It's it makes no sense at all. And yep. there's and the thing that goes along with it is that the it's people the are saturation. gonna wake up one morning and be go, Oh, I now live in a renewable energy zone. Yay for me. Yeah, this is the saturation issue, isn't it? That we have so much yeah. And this is what you're seeing the problem in South Australia, right? When it got islanded. So this is I, I think um Eventually, we'll see the end of the national electricity market. I think some states are just going to go, you know what? I'm not going to participate. I've yeah. got too much wind and solar and everything's negative all the time and it's not going to work. And I think, uh, I mean, it might not come to that, but you can just see if they're nationalizing stuff. Daniel Andrews in Victoria, mm-hmm. obviously, uh, Queensland is all pretty much all government owned anyway, as, uh, even the networks. The poles and wires, and most of the generation. New South Wales. You've got Matt Keane saying that the uh, well, he he spent a bit of time in charge of the coal uh, railways during COVID. Yeah, well, he just wants, the, he just wants WA to send more gas over. Yeah, well, not not during COVID. Sorry, that was my mistake. In uh, during the when the uh, energy market was suspended. Hmm. So he actually the governor. He wrote to the governor of New South Wales, and she gave him control. Uh, allowed him to basically nationalise the coal, mm. so he could say that power stations power stations should get powers. it, should get yeah. it, and uh, he he could uh, basically implement a domestic coal reserve mm. type scheme at at will. That that timed out after thirty days, thank God. But yeah. what a trial run! Now they're talking about gas reserves and and high taxes and everything. But this this concept that Christine Milne is going on here mm. about um, 
doubling the generation capacity when there's no extra demand. Yeah. Well, just extend that out to the rest of the country. Well, that's that's exactly what's happening. That's what's going to happen. I mean, yeah. Australia's there. And it can't that's work. going to happen. <laughs> they talk about hydrogen. <laughs> we promise not to talk about hydrogen, but here we go. <laughs> um, hydrogen, obviously, one of my favorite things to say about it is it's a product without a market. No one's using it. No one wants to pay you know, eight times, eight times uh, for hydrogen what they can for natural gas. What, what was the thing you had on Twitter the other day, Ben? Yeah, that's right. I said uh, green hydrogen. Using electricity to turn water into less electricity. <laughs> I mean, for me, that sort of sums it up. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that that came from I was I was trying to write something uh, for a Spectator article, and I was thinking, well, I'd I'd explained it in like two paragraphs. I'm like, I need to get this down into a couple of words, a bit shorter. And when you cut out all the middlemen, uh, if you say I'm going to make hydrogen from wind and solar through electrolyzers using water, mm. then I'm going to take all that hydrogen and I'm going to stick it in gas turbines and make electricity. You actually get about a fifth of electricity that you do on the outside as you do on the in, as you do putting into it. Mm. I mean, it's mental. It's crazy. Yeah. It's it's worse than batteries. It's worse than fuel yeah. cells. It's it's and, a terrible. And, and I think um, you know people like Dr. Chris Kiefer um, has done done some good. Work he's on very this. concerned about yeah, it, and he's and, really and raising some commentary the on it. Um, so, you know, th- there are people out there who are, you know, raising the alarm on and this. And yet the governments of the world seem to be going arm in arm like lemmings over the cliff. Yeah. I mean, certainly it's, it's a popular thing in Australia. Another, mm. another white elephant. Well, I know, <laughs> I know some, uh, some other engineers and, and people in the engineering community and I've, I've mentioned it to them and they say, yeah, it'll be good while the, uh, the government funding lasts, but after that, it won't be so good. Well, that's right. I mean, we seem to be at this point where we seem to be subsidizing ourselves into a bigger mess. Um, yeah. Well, everything's going to be subsidized soon. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, the well, cost- that's, that's, that's right, because we've got to the point where so we've had so much government intervention now into the energy market. Not a market anymore. It's mm. ceasing of the market for a long time now. I'm going to be talking to Stephen Wilson about this yeah, very yeah. soon. So he, that's, he, that's one of the he things- said some good things on this. Um, but yeah, so, you know, Government and it's going to take, and we're going to keep going down that track, and then it's going to get to a point where you know it's going to take government to get us out as well. Unfortunately, but, this is my greatest fear, right? Yeah. So we're going to spend our way down into this hole, and we're going to spend untold billions, mm. uh, and then we're going to everyone's going to wake up to it, and the government's going to be the last, and then they'll get whoever's last holding the candle will get chucked out, and then the people coming in will have to spend a whole lot of money to fix it. Yeah, and we'll will be decades behind. Tristan, thank you very much for coming in. No worries. I hope you've enjoyed our chat today. No, I hope to be back. We'll do it soon. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in a week. In the meantime, if you like the podcast, hit the like button, subscribe, tell your friends.